everyone. Welcome to the Highbrow Book Club. Here we Woo! are with Cameron Vidal and Emma Savoy. I am Austin Clark. And Otherwise known as Bob. Yes, uh, people have <laughs> found out that my first name is Robert. That's all right. Um, <laughs> we Here we are in part five. Let's let's dig in. Cameron, do you have any any summary for us about all the things that happened? It's kind of a busy busy part. Yes, let me paint a picture for you for part five. <laughs> so Levin goes to confession and doubts the existence of God. His friend wonders why he wants to give up his freedom, and he says that his key to happiness is um, basically marriage is going to free him, even though he has given up his freedom. It's this whole thing. But he is also late to his wedding due to having an improper shirt. It reminds me of the episode of The Office with Jim and Pam and cutting the tie. Uh, and Vronsky traveled to Italy, uh, meet up with an old school friend, Galenishev. And Vronsky takes a painting and is content and happy, but Vronsky's dissatisfied because of all of his desires are satisfied. <laughs> um, they go visit Mikhailov's art studio, and he shows them a painting of Christ, and Anna delights in the pity on Jesus' face. Vronsky hires Mikhailov to paint Anna's portrait. Meanwhile, Levin and Kitty are going through growing pains in marriage. Levin is working on his book about Russian agriculture, and but it's hard for him to not give it up, give enough time and attention. He thinks he is spoiled with the married life. They receive a letter that his brother Nikola is dying, and Levin wants to visit him and Kitty. And, and Kitty insists on going with him. Levin and Kitty visit Nikolai. Levin meditates on how he fears death more than Kitty, even though he's more intelligent than she. He concludes that he is self-centered, whereas she is selfless. Nikolai ends up passing away, and Kitty finds out that she has been sick because she is pregnant. Cranon is breaking down with this whole situation, and we get to see what his childhood was like as an orphan. He had many achievements, but he lacked intimacy and connection. His friend Lydia enters the picture and tells him to trust in Jesus, replacing erotic passion with religious love. Sir Yazaw's birthday comes around, and he mentions he wants to see Anna again. And Anna and Vronsky return to St. Petersburg, where everyone shuns them. She requests to see her son, but Karenin denies it. She persists by buying toys for Sir Yazaw's birthday and visits the home. And Anna regrets. Anna cries with regret once she re- reunites with her son. Anna returns to Vronsky even more confused, and she ends up feeling more distant. Anna and Vronsky go to the opera, and Anna is insulted by previous friends. And then the part ends with them two departing to the countryside. Boom. Boom. A lot happening in this. Um, man, yeah, I feel like some big things that like have been building are finally coming to pass. One of those, the main one being uh Levin and Kitty finally, you know, tying the knot here in page four hundred and seventy nine, which mm-hmm. came way later than I thought it was gonna come. But um But it is like yeah, one I, of the best wedding depictions I've ever read and also oh very, gosh, very long. Yeah. Just very thorough. Super, super long. I mean like some of the things that like struck out to me in the wedding is just like Levin just so idealizes Kitty, like, right up to the very, like, where they're about to marry each other, he's, you know, telling her, like, there's no way you can love me, like, I'm not worthy of you, um, I feel like that's, that's gonna be, 
some growth. Like that's going to cause a little struggle in their marriage. Just like a little prediction of mine, you know, this idealization of a person. Um, but yeah, did y'all have any ideas on the wedding? I think just kind of off of that, there's the, there's the scene where Levin's kind of doubting the wedding. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting because as you said, he idealizes Kitty. He doesn't ever put her in a place of blame because he, he wonders if maybe she's leading him on or doing something wrong. She doesn't actually love him, but his final conclusion there is, well, what if she herself doesn't know what she's doing? Because he doesn't mm, want yeah. to ever place any real blame on her. So if anything she does is, air quotes, like, wrong, then it's subconscious. She's not intentionally doing anything wrong. So. Mm-hmm. I, I love, like, the differences in Levin and Kitty's character. Like, I feel like Kitty is kind of shown, like, with this childlike love. Like, she doesn't have to think about it. And Levin agonizes over every deed. Like, I'm just thinking, in the wedding, when they're talking about you know, there's a quote, like, about the priest is saying all these, like, beautiful things about marriage and about love. And Levin's thinking, like, oh, how profound this moment is. Like, does she feel the same as I do and, like, understand, like, how well these words correspond? And he looks over to her. And it goes, by the look in those eyes, he concluded that she understood it as he did. But that was not so. She had almost no understanding of the words of the service and did not even listen during the betrothal. <laughs> she was unable to hear and understand them. So strong was the one feeling that filled her soul and was growing stronger and stronger. I felt that was so humorous, like such a moment that like really puts these two in, you know, the, the interesting dichotomy that's going on here of, of mm-hmm. Levin, who just ha- is thinking so hard through everything. And Kitty, who's just like, it just oh, yeah. comes natural to her, you know, this love. Is it something that she needs to um, have beautiful words for? It just comes out of her soul. It but, also kind of yeah, like, it also kind of speaks into like just the male, the masculine and feminine genius when it comes to like the the idea of marriage. Just very simply, if you wanted to put it, um, yeah. like the man being the one who loves and the woman is the one who is loved. Um, mm-hmm. Which. Levin kind of talks about later once they're married he wonders why Kitty like feels the need to do anything because he says all she should do is be loved right now um which yeah. is kind of funny you know you can take that <laughs> all sorts of ways but I think what you read just goes into that where Levin as the man is recognizing the duty and the obligation in the words mm. being bound to another and, and how he's going to have to be proactive and Kitty's just receiving all of it which is a very feminine trait that like empathetic receptivity. Yeah. It's a, it's a great way. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned that Emma, because it kind of paints the same, the same strokes are painted throughout the part where Levin, it's like a situation presents itself in front of Levin and Kitty and they both handle it differently internally Mm. at least. And there's this tension between them because of it. Um, But they work through it. And there's many other occasions throughout the book where or through this part in which they go through a lot of growing pains. But mm-hmm. I think it is interesting that despite them, expe- expect, despite the different experience that they're having, that they both can come together and work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is an interesting view into the internal dialogue, I guess, that we have with ourselves that, you know, Levin... Levin's mind might be somewhere else where 
Kitty is more operating from her heart. Um, right. And it's not it's not to say that they're like an ideal expression of masculinity and femininity, but mm-hmm. they definitely like demonstrate those sides. And we'll go into this more later, but again later when uh Nicholas is, is dying, Levin is so caught up in the concept of death. And just mm-hmm. like what it is and how he doesn't know what it is. And it's just thinking about it and the, the logical side of it that he can't empathize with his brother. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Kitty comes in and again, that like feminine receptivity, she recognizes that she doesn't have to think about what depth death is, but there's a person in front of her that needs like care and attention. And that's what's yeah. first to her. No, I love that. So they're a good balance. Gosh, it's such a, yeah, it's a, it's a cool picture in like times of celebration and then in times of like sorrow, how these two operate differently. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. like another thing that stood out to me in this part is like, we find, we see like, you know, uh, Anna and Vronsky finally getting everything that they wanted. And then we see Levin and Kitty getting everything they wanted. And we see these like two different, um, like responses to that. And in a lot of ways, like both of them are pretty similar. Um, I mean, just starting off with with Bronski and on page 465, you know, they're off in the Italian countryside by themselves. You know, they can live as a married couple. They have no constraints of, you know, the Russian um, uh, aristocratic society and their expectations on them. Um, But it says that Bronski, despite the full realization of what, he had desired for so long was not fully happy. He soon felt the realization of his desire had given him only a grain of the mountain of happiness he had expected. It showed him the eternal error people make in imagining that happiness is the realization of desires. And I think that's just such a a cool... Love that. Yeah, I, I loved that. I mean, I feel like Tolstoy is just showing again and again like his understanding for the human soul and you know Vronsky's gotten everything he wants realizes that it's not enough and that um his preoccupation his obsession with this woman isn't going to you know completely fulfill him in the way that he thought um so you know he starts seizing upon politics books then you find him finding this new passion for painting because he just is looking for something to give him purpose because for so long his purpose was attain this woman's love and now he has it and it's not filling him up. You know, he's given up all of his um, ambitious desires in the military. He's given up all of his horse racing. And really, he's just, you know, he's wallowing in, like, the pleasures of the flesh right now. And it's just not not sustaining him. Um, and, you know, that sort of starts putting a, a strain on him and, and Anna. Um, and, you know, you can see some of those insecurities come out in there in the way that they talk to each other. Um, it's like that balance between your ambitions and relationship. Cause I see the parallels mm-hmm. with Levin and Kitty as well with Levin wanting to work on his book. Um, but <laughs> he feels like it's a distraction sometimes to, to love Kitty and he's learning to balance those two. And then you could parallel that with Vronsky and Anna with him I feel like he just kind of lost. I feel like he's lacking mission in his life. Mm-hmm. Like he has all these desires he has for marriage and or a relationship, but he kind of lost 
his sense of purpose and mission. And it's such a vital component to someone's life. Like it's like the idea that you can run away, go live with the love of your life, like on an Island. But is that truly a meaningful, (laughs) meaningful marriage, even meaningful life to just spend it with one other person? Like it's great and everything, but I don't know. I feel like we're all hardwired to, to have this outward expression of at least pouring it back into the world. I feel like it kind of goes further than that. It's more meaningful when you can impact the people around you. And, and I just, I I don't know. I just see this idea of Anna and Vronsky having everything they desire, but then still feeling empty. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that you see that frustration with Vronsky and Anna and Levin and Kitty, where they both struggle with being so enraptured. Well, they're just—they're both so enraptured with each other at the, at the very beginning of the of the marriage. And Lewis describes mm-hmm. this in Four Loves in uh, his Eros section as like two people looking at each other nose to nose. All they see is like each other's eyes or the, each other's faces, and they are distracted from everything else around them. Mm-hmm. So, like that's like the newlywed experience, and then you see both parties going through the growing pains of how to then balance that. Like Cam was saying, um, I honestly think it's really good for Levin and Kitty that early on in their relationship, they have to go to visit um, Nicholas because even though it causes a lot of argument initially because of some of Levin's insecurities about Kitty seeing his brother or, you know, what kind of damage that might do to her overall, it kind of, it draws them closer together because they see different parts about the other that they admire. So Kitty sees more vulnerability from Levin um, and just, gets to know him better, which is a big part of what like a woman wants in a relationship. And then Levin sees like Kitty's dedication to something outside of like typical, typical day to day, like embroidery and things like that, that they've been doing as a couple. Mm-hmm. He sees her like dedicate herself to another person and he sees that she's more capable and mature. So like you were saying, Cam, just having a mission outside of the other person is a very, very important part of love and of marriage. It's so true that the just I've had just I've had um, recent experiences with um, with friends of mine that have gone through a tremendous amount of suffering, and it's it's interesting to see how suffering really is the glue. Like as as awful and terrible as it is, it really does mm-hmm. glue us together and connect us more than anything else we have. Uh, it's such a mystery, such a paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're kind of yeah. we're seeing that with with Levin wrestling with death and and him viewing Kitty's selflessness as she's just she's just able to be present um but yeah. it really does glue us together in a very strange way yeah and kind of speaking of that there's a whole section that I thought was just so fascinating um it's it's about Levin and Kitty going through growing pains when they're arguing arguing about different issues or they go back and forth between like marveling at the little things about the other, like being enchanted with the other and then being disenchanted with the other. Um, and they kind of describe one of their arguments in, in such an interesting way. Um, if from Levin's perspective, so I'm just going to, I'm going to read it right here. Yeah. Um, it says that he understood that she was not only close to him, 
but that now he no longer knew where she ended and he began. At first he felt offended, but at the same second he felt as if he could not be offended by her, since she was himself. And then later it says, A natural feeling would have required him to defend himself and demonstrate to her that she was at fault, but demonstrating her fault to her meant irritating her still more and widening the breach, which would be the cause of all trouble. So it's really interesting to see them work through arguments, because for the time being, or at least right when they're married, they resolve it by Levin kind of giving in. And I was really curious what you guys thought of the way that they handled growing pains and argument, because Levin obviously doesn't want to hurt Kitty since he feels so close to her. Do you think he's doing the right thing? How do you think they should be handling handling arguments? I guess. I think that... Um, I think that the way that they handle conflict is not shown in some like idealistic and perfect way, but in a very honest way. And it's mm-hmm. more... It's like just... Like, neither of them ever is just, like, perfectly handles a conflict in the book. You know, like, I don't know if this is in this part of the next, but, like, Levin gets jealous and, like, he just immediately expresses that to its fullest, you know. And he, mm-hmm. it's like he doesn't say, like, oh, I shouldn't be jealous. He just is, like, just lives it out. <laughs> and, like, whenever he's feeling doubts about the marriage, like, he doesn't, like, reason himself through it and approach it in a very, like, mature way. He just, like, runs to Kitty and tells her everything and... Like, you know, whenever he has, I'm thinking in the part before this where he gave her his journal filled with, like, all of his sexual experiences, like, (laughs) throughout the book, like, neither of them are, like, perfect at handling conflict, you know, like, but they just give what's going on inside of them to each other in a super vulnerable way. They, like, they just, like, almost vomit it up on the other, and through that honesty, like, they are reconciled in like five minutes, you know, and like people show people walk up to them and see them just like in love with each other again after a quarrel. Um, and I think, I think, you know, again, Tolstoy is showing the value of just truth, um, and not like trying to correct yourself completely, you know, in order to find love, but just being, totally who you are and like sharing completely what's going on within you and like that's where this connection is made you know that's what's like allows them to work through things yeah it's very uh, i can't help but think of the first line of the book you know all happy families are alike but every unhappy family is unhappy in, in their own way and i think this is cracking into that first line of showing you showing you just the ordinary day-to-day um like because i feel like i can do this all the time too like you look at relationships families marriages and we really only see the surface or even like you can even look at social media and stuff like you really only get like a surface level view of what is really going on like we don't get to see the trifles and the obstacles that they have to deal with day-to-day um and that's just the reality like it's not all like what Tolstoy is proposing is just not, it's not all sunshines and in rainbows. Um, mm-hmm. There's difficult things to work through um, rather than relying on some like erotic passion. Maybe something that's worth thinking about is having someone you can, 
do hard things with and have hard conversations with like Levin and Kitty are doing, even though they're not perfect, they at least are doing it and trying to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we definitely get this big view of like, um, you know, there's two relationships here and there's two, you know, total gratification of desires and, um, you see them have like working out in different ways um, so I, I think it's it's just like an interesting um, you know note on like what the satis- total satisfaction satisfaction of desires <laughs> can bring out you know and it's kind of like a disenchantment. Um, mm-hmm. Hey Austin, can, can I double tap on that for a second? Yeah, uh, double tap. <laughs> I want to I want to propose a question before it gets yeah. thrown away, but I feel. It's definitely connected with the subject, but there was a quote earlier on in the part where Levin's with some of his friends and they are like, dude, are you sure you want to go through with this? Like, are you, <laughs> yeah, like all your freedom is going to be taken away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, all your freedom is going to be taken away. And he says something along the lines, correct me if I'm wrong. He says something along the lines of my freedom. Yes will be taken away but it's like it is essential to my happiness something Uh along those lines that stuck out to me um (laughs) because i recall a conversation yeah like total happiness isn't found in freedom but rather in like finding something to serve and work for that's worth it right or just like i my friend our friend jeffrey was telling me about um I just thought of Jeffrey whenever I read this line because very recently I had a conversation with him about uh-huh. him talking about how at one point in his life he thought marriage would yeah take away all his freedom of yeah, wanting to go yeah. all over the world and travel. But now he's married and I'll never forget him looking me in the eye and telling me that it is it is worth everything. Like marriage is way more than he ever um, could dream of. Um, because he said that having someone in your corner, particularly, especially whenever hard moments of life pop up, which they will, we're always one mm-hmm. person away from something very bad happening. And um, just that's just life. It's just having someone in your corner you can lean on and as well be there for is one of the most fulfilling things in his life and it just rubbed yeah. off on me because i definitely resonate with ah oh, if i get married like yeah. i feel like i'm gonna be more restricted but it's it's such a mystery how the limitation um can maybe set you more free uh-huh man i love that i i think like a good you know segue into like a next part of the book that i want to talk about is like when you're talking about struggle and like um like you know, we're only like one moment away from like catastrophe and just like, let's go to where Levin's brother Nikolai is dying and just like the difference that like having his wife there with him made on, on that um, moment where, you know, Levin is kind of frozen in just like the horror of thinking of death. Whereas um, Kitty with, you know, her tender nature is just able to care for the person in front of her as best she can. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on kind of that death scene. Cause I have, I have, I have a thought, but I, I want to hear, I don't want to spoil y'all's 
interpretation of it. I think you should full send it, Austin. I'm excited to we'll hear send, your idea. Yeah, let's let's yeah. break it out. Okay, I'm gonna so little synopsis like his death has been coming for so long, and like this is kind of a long, you know death scene where like it's not like he has some moment where he just like looks up beautifully and he's like it's here's my death and then he dies like that happens like five times like he you keep getting faked out reading this section that like oh now he's gonna die and then he doesn't die and it carries on and he suffers more and you know at first like Nikolai and Kitty were like so close and like he was you know so appreciative but like the longer the the death goes on, like even Kitty gets overwhelmed and pretty sure in both of them, you know, the married couple are both just like, this guy needs to die. Like <laughs> he's suffering so much and he's just getting more and more angry. Um, and I'm going to jump into this little quote, but it's talking about like the suffering, um, you know, and he has tuberculosis. That's what's going on. Like his, his body is wasting away. Um, he is totally skin and bones each breath is a struggle for him. Each joint is, you know, in pain. I, you know, just think about this, like the infection is disseminated across his entire body and like, there's very little left of him. He's super weak. Um, and it says a turnabout was obviously taking place. That was to make him look at death as the satisfaction of his desires as happiness. Formally, each separate desire caused by suffering or privation, such as hunger, fatigue, thirst, had been satisfied by a bodily function that gave pleasure. But now privation and suffering received no satisfaction, and the attempt at satisfaction caused new suffering, and therefore all his desires merged into one, the desire to be rid of all sufferings and their source, the body. But he had no words to express this desire for liberation, and therefore did not speak of it, but out of habit demanded for the satisfaction of desires that could no longer be fulfilled. So you see him, he's just like, turn me this way, turn me that way, you know, give me a water, no, I don't want that, you know, prop up my pillow, do this, and everyone is getting frustrated, and kind of this, like, mood is descending that everyone realizes the only thing that's going to rectify the situation is his death, because pure existence is pain at this point. And, you know, he does die eventually and, you know, uh, you know, leading up to it, he's clutching at himself, like, as if he's, like, trying to pull his, his own flesh off, like, and, um, you know, I, uh, you know, in his moment of death, you know, he, his face does brighten and he's got a little smile and, you know, and, and then he passes away and, you know, cause he's finally being rid of this painful existence that was his his last moments. And I just want to like compare this right now to someone else who's suffering right now and someone else who is idealizing the end of everything, which is Anna. And I'm just wondering, is this section kind of a way to talk about what might be going on in Anna with, the way that she is satisfying every one of her desires, and yet they cause her more pain. The separation from, you know, they cause the separation from her son. They cause her humiliation in society. She flees to the Italian countryside, and it's painful for her there because there's no one 
to talk to and, you know, they miss the homeland. They see this little picture of the Russian countryside and that's all they can think about. Um, and they come back, you know, they're drawn back into everything. And it's like whatever new desire is fulfilled, it causes more suffering. And I'm just wondering, am I good? Do I, do I reach too far in that? Or what do y'all think about it? I, no. I think that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think you're completely right. And I didn't even, I definitely missed that. But I think you're right, right on the money, Austin. Because yeah, Sorry. yeah. Emma, what do you think? I was just gonna say that I think the comparison is really clear when it comes to what they both yearn for, which is just death. Yeah. Like when Damn Anna, everything. yeah, Anna from the beginning of her affair, like once as soon as the illusion wears off, she has to deal with any consequences. At that point, yeah. she starts just longing for escapism, like for death as an escape. So that's, that's a really good parallel. And the way that everyone else is treating her as well as if they almost wish for that, like Karenin wishes for a death as well, just because it would make mm-hmm. life easier. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Levin and Kitty, you know, they're they at the end, like they wish for, for Nikolai's death just so it would be the end of his suffering, not out of harm for him, but just because it would, it would be make everything easier. Um, and I feel like Anna is someone who is able to put those feelings into words. You know, she says very early, like, I wish I had died. You know, when she was very sick, you know, she wished she had died. And, you know, when she was, you know, she's been idealizing, um, her death is just the solution to everything. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that was a very good example, um, in a smaller setting of like, um, of that played out, just like what's going on in her played out on mm-hmm. a smaller scale. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's a, it, really good comparison, mm-hmm. Austin. Thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, Dude, I, I want to bring this up just because it's on my mind. I've been reading the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I've been trying to get enlightened, <laughs> and one of the ideas that he has in the book is he talks about how essential the present moment is to our happiness. And he mm-hmm. talks about like, a lot of pain and suffering come from our attachment to either the past or the future. Um, mm, he yeah. mentions specifically like psychologically, we have an attachment to it. And when we can detach from it and be f- and operate from being in the present, that mm. is where we get a lot of happiness. And I just see the connection between that and what's going on here with Nikolai. Nikolai is... Right now, his like he's dying, mm. and no matter how, it's like the idea of you can prolong someone's life, but at what point are they are they still there? Are they still human? It's just kind of making things worse. Um, trying to navigate that area of like, okay, is this the right time to basically pull the plug? Um, but in comparison to that, with with Anna, who is She's not integrating. Like we see this during the part where she goes home and she embraces her her son, and she reali- she has like this realization of what she's done, um, because she's kind of been avoiding it, like throwing it under the rug and not dealing with the hard suffering of her mm-hmm. situation. And when you don't yeah. face that suffering, it it will bring more complications and problems down the road. So at least 
I'm kind of I'm just trying to see how this section can apply actually mm-hmm. to my own life, and I feel like Tolstoy has given us some some tips to to deal with suffering, showing that mm-hmm. you may have yeah, to feel like- go through that death process in order to to resurrect a new a new way forward. Yeah, and I think like the the resolutions to suffering that we do see in this section. Um, I'm just thinking of like. Levin and Kitty, or even Karenin. We didn't really talk about Karenin, but it's when that suffering is brought out, you know, into the into the light and examined, and just allowed to be experienced, is when there's resolution to that. You know, mm-hmm. um, like when Karenin is finally broken up into by. I, f- I forget her name. The prince is it princess? I don't know. It's somebody. Uh, it's the countess Lydia. Countess, yeah, Countess Lydia. And we didn't even really talk about Levin's, uh, Karenin's character, but you know, we see like the brokenness inside him of not being loved as a child, and that's finally allowed to come out and be confided into by with a friend, and um, you know, some amount of healing comes from it, at least mm. allowing him to function again. I think it's it's but, so characteristic of uh, Karen and like Tolstoy was kind of using a literary technique there, only describing his backstory near the end of the book. Yeah, like it yeah. kind of relates to Karen's character as a whole. No, and, because and he, he finally, doesn't open up. Yeah, and I think some of that is like allowing us to really see the story, the beginning of the story through Anna's eyes. Because if we if we walk in with Karen's full backstory, we will villainize Anna from the very beginning, but instead, mm. you know, we're allowed to live through her experience at first and have compassion on her and see mm-hmm. her as ourself rather than coming in already against her. Um, yeah. I, I think the genius of this book is like, you could say the whole refrain is how it is important to understand everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. like, it's it's this book is it's a masterpiece of showing you a character it will arise some type of emotion in you either that be mercy or judgment but mm-hmm. it'll take you on a journey to realize whoa i i thought this way about a character but now i did a 180 and now since mm-hmm. i fully understand the context of where this person comes from yeah it kind of changes the way i perceive them and right at least that's how i've been feeling throughout the book and it's yeah it's 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 interesting of that there's even a progression of what the way anna's logic goes she says something like uh she goes from like understanding to loving to judgment i remember seeing a quote and like realizing like oh that's a interesting progression is like in the same way that Mm -hmm. we can have these narratives that we tell ourselves the way we, we see reality on the outside um we may be more naive than we think, kind of like Levin's character. Um, but the important thing is to at least have that desire to to really understand the people yeah. in front of you, um, man. Because there may be I take there what, may be a backstory. Cameron, let me just read this. I fully agree with everything you're saying. That's like hitting me in a real way, and I felt that about this book. I feel like this is a good quote that from Levin just about experience and about like previous thoughts on things. It says Levin felt more and more that all his thoughts about marriage, all his dreams of how he would arrange his life were mere childishness. 
and that it was something he had not understood before, and now understood still less, though it was being accomplished over him. And this is like when he's getting married, and like through the ritual of marriage and through the love he's experiencing with Kitty, he realizes all his ideas about this thing that he thought he knew a lot about are have nothing to do with what it feels like to actually go through that process. And like, and even going through it, you know, he says like, I, I, he, you know, he understands it even less. Um, I think that just relates to what you're saying about understanding. And it's impossible to look from with an outside perspective on someone's situation and know what it's like to live as that person. Um, so I think that was good. I think point. that's a great, I think it's a great ending point. Um, yeah. I mean, as we're Let's... moving through this part, like we're seeing Levin and Kitty's life, I feel like unfolding like in a beautiful way, even though they're going through trifles, it's unfolding in a beautiful way. And on the opposite, you have Anna and Vronsky and you can kind of see uh, their life kind of falling apart. It's like going in two opposite directions, at least mm-hmm. the way I'm and seeing it. Do you mind if I close that like with a little analysis of that last scene about yeah, the opera? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. So just want to leave off with a consideration about Anna at the very opening of the chapter. Anna's Anna's perspective is that she kind of wants to suffer justly for everything that she's done. Um, she says, I've deprived myself of what I treasured most, my good name and my son. And she's frustrated, like you guys were saying, because she's achieved and is able to pursue all of the things that should give her happiness. But she's upset because she thinks she deserves suffering. So I think mm-hmm. that at the beginning ties into the very end of this chapter when Anna first is not honest with Vronsky about what's troubling her, which is her separation from her son, which we've been discussing is, is tantamount to hurting relationship because honesty Mm -hmm. is important. So she's not honest with Vronsky. And then she goes to the opera with all the society. She shouldn't be around with what she's done in her life. So I think that's her stepping into a place of basically punishing herself because mm. Vronsky is like, why would you even, why would you want to do this? You must be in denial. You must not know what you're doing. But I think we know Anna is pretty aware of things mm-hmm. um, that are going on and, and what's, what she's done, which is why she feels such guilt. So I think mm. she, part of her going to the opera was maybe an act of pride to, to like a slap in the face of society, but also a bit of looking for that just punishment. So we already see her, we see her struggling with her guilt in another way at mm-hmm. the end of this chapter. So it'll be interesting how that progresses. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for sticking with us and I'll stop it right here.